Good morning. So today we're going to discuss comebacks. And so often stories of people making a comeback can be quite inspirational, really. We can find them in all sorts of areas of life. We find them in the entertainment industry. The entertainment industry is full of comeback stories. And here's one for the 1980s pop generation, people like me. This, uh, this lady is called Tina Turner, and she became very famous singing alongside her husband, Ike, in the 1960s. I'm tempted to ask who remembers that, but I'm not going to do that. There's, oh, wow, there's some keen, keen people who are more than happy to admit that they remember Ike and Tina Turner, Proud Mary, River Deep, Mountain High. These are iconic songs from that particular era. Dave's asking me to sing them. Let me tell you, Dave. My sons do a fantastic duet of Proud Mary. Do feel free to ask them to perform that for you later, and they will undoubtedly say no. Um, so, and will be incredibly annoyed. I've mentioned that. They're both in children's groups, so I've got away with it. Tina Turner was at the height of her success in the 1960s alongside her husband, but in the background, her world was a disaster. Her life was broken. She was suffering from domestic abuse in a very serious and a very significant way. And eventually, the, the marriage broke down completely in the mid-1970s. Ike and Tina Turner broke up and subsequently divorced, and her world collapsed. And then in the, the 1980s, she launched a solo career and made a massive and an incredible comeback. And the rest is history. Uh, and there's even been a film made about her life. It's the world of entertainment. Let's have a look at the world of politics. Here's quite a famous face. The world of politics, Nelson Mandela may have made one of the most famous ever comebacks. Under the South African apartheid regime, Nelson Mandela served 27 years in prison. And in 1990, he was released. By 1994, he was the first ever black president of South Africa. He went on to win more than 250 honors, including the Nobel Peace Prize. Now, that's quite a story from one place to another. Now, of course, the world of sport is full of famous comebacks, and I could have picked any particular story, <laughs> but I think I picked my personal favorite today, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm a Liverpool football fan, right? And um, the person who's running the screen for me is an avid Manchester United fan. I'm not sure... He's prepared to put up the next slide for the sake of the, um, the online. It, it would be a photograph of Liverpool gloriously winning the, the European Champions League. So in two, oh, there it is. Oh, what a gracious man. What a gracious man. <laughs> so in 2005, in the European Champions League final, my favorite team, Liverpool, were 3-0 down uh, to this wonderful Italian team, AC Milan. 
uh, by half-time. And in the second half, they scored three goals. They took the game to penalties, and they won a penalty shootout, and they claimed the trophy for the fifth time. It was a fantastic day, wasn't it, Tom? And... Um, <laughs> And I remember it well. What a great day. Um, so we can, uh, we can see, can't we, that in the world of politics, the world of entertainment, the world of sport, comebacks can be inspirational, they can be fascinating. The Huffington Post published a, uh, a top 10 comeback of all, of all history. So they, they published like a, a league table. And at number one, this particular, obviously, you have individual writers contributing to the Huffington Post, and this particular writer compiling this list, at number one, he placed Jesus Christ. And this is what that particular writer, that particular contributor of the Huffington Post had to say about Jesus Christ. This is a direct quote. Jesus was the most important person who ever lived. His life, death, and resurrection literally changed the course of human history. Jesus was guilty of no crime and had done incredible good and yet was crucified the most painful and horrendous death in the ancient world. There can be no greater setback than to be cruelly and unjustly killed. Three days later, Jesus had risen from the grave. The resurrection proved his victory over sin, over death and sin. It was the ultimate victory. Coming back to life is the greatest comeback in history. So that's not me, that's not the Bible, that's the Huffington Post. So here we are on Easter Sunday, we're talking about comebacks. Let's read about the greatest comeback of all history from the gospel that Simon, who was baptized today, first read, the gospel of Mark. Mark 16 from chapter, sorry, from verse 1, Mark chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on the way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance to the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So, three days earlier, Jesus had been killed. Historians both within and outside the Bible believe that the public execution of Jesus is indeed an historic fact. We reflected on this, of course, on Good Friday. Jesus was whipped, beaten, a crown of thorns was forced upon his head. He was forced to carry his own cross for a time, and then someone else carried it for him because he was so weak after the torture he'd already suffered. He was nailed to that cross, and like many prisoners at that time, he died. Crucifixion was the most barbaric and inhumane form of execution known to mankind. The pain associated with crucifixion was so terrible, so intense, there was not even a word to describe it. In fact, they had to make up a new word to describe the intense agony of crucifixion. That word is excruciate, which literally means out of the cross. 
a word so, a, a form of execution so terrible, they had to make up a new word in order to describe it. A sword was forced into Jesus' side, water and blood poured out, a sure sign medically that he was indeed dead. And of course, the Roman soldiers would have made sure that Jesus was dead because he was a very controversial figure, first of all. And they needed to make sure, hearing all of the various claims about who he was, that he was definitely dead. But more than that, their lives depended on it. If it was discovered that a prisoner survived crucifixion, the Roman soldiers themselves would have been held responsible and would have been executed themselves. So that's a pretty strong motivation to make sure that a prisoner's dead when they come off the cross. And yet, what happens three days after that event reveals the greatest ever comeback in the history of the world. A man who is publicly executed is found to be alive and well three days later. And for today, I'd like to focus on two reasons why this particular comeback is set apart from any other comeback in the whole of history. Two reasons why this is the ultimate comeback. And the first reason is this. It changes history. See, Liverpool Football Club's great comeback doesn't really change history. Didn't change my life at all, if I'm honest. Really, I quite enjoyed it at the time, but honestly. Now, Nelson Mandela's comeback... It changes history for a short period of time in one particular nation. But let me say this, the resurrection, it changes everything. It changes absolutely everything. You see, the Romans killed literally thousands upon thousands of, of prisoners using this type of execution known as crucifixion. I was looking at some research relating to to crucifixion and they they were literally there was one point they they, they executed 6,000 rebels by crucifixion in a very short period of time so literally thousands upon thousands died and just because someone died on a cross that doesn't make them special in any way it makes them one of the thousands but if that person who died on the cross is actually God in human form if a perfect God came to earth and lived among us and then died on a cross, now that's a game changer. Because if a perfect God died for the sins of the human race, then that must mean something very significant, very important. It means that God himself pays the penalty, takes the punishment for the sins that you and I have committed, the whole world has committed, for all the things we've done that's wrong, all the things we've said that are wrong, all the, the wrong thoughts that we've had. Punishment for sin is eternal separation from God. But if that punishment has already been dealt with, as we put our faith in what has happened, we find that we can spend eternity with God himself that we no longer have to be separated from him, that we can actually approach him. We can approach a perfect God based upon the fact that our imperfection has been dealt with by Jesus Christ on the cross. But, but Terry, you said literally loads and loads of people died on the cross. So why does Jesus' death make any difference? It makes a difference because 
three days later, he rises from the grave. You see, only God can do that. Only God can conquer death. Only someone who is eternal can change the rules of death. And so the fact that Jesus rose from the grave and appeared to over 500 witnesses over a significant period of time demonstrates that he is indeed God. And that means that the three days earlier, when he died, it was God dying. It was God dying for us. And so the first reason why this comeback is different to any other comeback is because it brings opportunity for the human race to be rescued. All we need to do is respond to the message of Easter. All we need to do is put our faith in the one who's died on the cross and rose again from the grave. And as we do that, we are rescued for now? No, for eternity, forever. So that's the first reason why this comeback is unique. The second reason is all about how this particular comeback gives each of us hope. We're back on that word again, hope. So the first reason is a cosmic reason. The second reason is a personal reason. And by personal, I mean this. Jesus' comeback has the power to overcome all of our setbacks. The person who wrote this particular gospel, this particular biography of Jesus that we've read today, a man called Mark, was writing down and recording events that were largely based upon eyewitness um, memories of one of Jesus' closest followers, a man called Peter. And when Peter first met Jesus, he could see that Jesus was unique and powerful. And Peter was actually really, really nervous about that. And he, he concluded he was not good enough to be anywhere near Jesus. He said, go away from me. I'm, I'm a sinful man. You don't want to be anywhere close to me, Jesus. But Jesus had a special plan for Peter. And he invited him. He invited Peter to be part of his group of followers. In fact, he invited him to be part of his closest group of followers. And as time went on, Peter became absolutely captivated by this man, Jesus. He was thrilled by Jesus' teaching. He was amazed by the miracles of Jesus, one of which took place within Peter's own family. He saw Jesus as an incredible leader. And then when Jesus began to discuss the fact that he would be captured and tortured and killed, Peter was having none of it. Peter clearly said he would never leave Jesus. He would fight alongside Jesus until the bitter end. And Jesus said, no, Peter, that's not actually how it's going to be. In fact, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's response was, no, no, no. The others might leave you. The others might forsake you. But, but I'm going nowhere, Jesus. And in fact, when Jesus is arrested, we see Peter standing with Jesus very aggressively. In John's Gospel, it records the fact that Peter draws a sword and cuts off the ear of one of the men who's coming to arrest Jesus. But Jesus says, no, no, Peter, that's not how it's going to be. And in, an, in another one of the Gospels, in another one of Jesus' biographies, a man, a doctor called Luke, records the fact that Jesus heals the ear of this particular man as Jesus is then arrested. Jesus 
is taken away at this point, and Peter follows at a distance. And as Jesus is tried by the authorities in what turns out to be a mock trial, Peter's standing in the courtyard close by. And people begin to look at Peter, and they begin to question him, and they begin to accuse him. You were with that Jesus. And Peter denies it. In fact, he denies that he even knows Jesus. And he swears that what he's saying is true. In fact, he does it three times. Exactly what Jesus predicted would happen. And we find that Peter, as he realizes what's happening, he is devastated by these events. As Jesus is killed, Peter is racked with guilt and shame. Peter had such hopes. Peter had such dreams. And yet this was the most devastating setback. And there literally seemed no way back for Peter at all. No way back. Until Easter Sunday morning. Now, remember I said that Mark's gospel had been influenced by Peter's memories? Let's look again at what the man at the empty tomb said to the women who were looking for Jesus. They say, he says this, Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who is crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. Go and tell his disciples and Peter. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Do you notice that? Go and tell his disciples and Peter. I bet at this point, when Mark's writing this down, Peter's standing over his shoulder saying, don't forget those two words. Don't forget. And Peter. Peter's included in this. His devastating setbacks have not excluded him. There is restoration available Because Jesus has conquered death. And later we see the resurrected Jesus restoring Peter. Jesus asked Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Three times Peter denied Jesus before the crucifixion. Three times Peter affirms his love for Jesus after the resurrection. Peter made a comeback. But he was only able to make a comeback because of the ultimate comeback, because of the restorative power of the resurrected Jesus Christ. And today we've seen a 21st century example of that. As Simon told his story, we heard about these monumental setbacks in his life. Moments of great pain and devastation, moments of loss and bereavement, moments of sin and temptation. And yet, the resurrected Jesus came to Simon and transformed him and brought him to a place where he today publicly said, I want to declare my faith. I want to declare that Jesus is truly my Lord and my Savior. Jesus came and he spoke into all of those setbacks and he brought hope and he brought peace and he brought love. And he brought life. What a glorious thing. As Martin said, what a privilege for us to be able to 
share and observe and experience that wonderful reality in Simon's life. So, as I conclude, there are two things I want us to get hold of today. The first is cosmic. The resurrection, the ultimate comeback, the answer to the eternal question about faith in God. Let me say this, the the resurrection authenticates the crucifixion. It proves that God has died for us. It proves that God has died for us to rescue us and restore us. The second thing I want us to get to grips with is personal. The story of Easter, the fact that Jesus has conquered death, breaks into our own individual setbacks and brings hope and help when we need it most. We can see that in the story of Peter 2,000 years ago. We can see that in the story of Simon we heard just 30 minutes ago. It's just as true now as it was then. And that's the reality. Let's stand together, shall we? I'd just like to pray for us. In fact, I wonder whether is Charlie available to come and just play?